Welcome to NEP On Location. Here we hit the road and have conversations with some of the brightest minds from the worlds of public safety, organized labor, communications, politics, and more. In this episode, Jim Molesky is on location at NEP's They Need to Talk Mental and Behavioral Health Conference in Las Vegas and has a conversation with Dr. Heather Williams. Dr. Williams is a licensed clinical psychologist with more than 20 years of experience working with first responders and crisis response. Dr. Williams is the founder of Premier First Responder Psychological Services and operates several offices throughout Southern California. Uh, this is Jim Oleski from NEP Media, on location this week in Las Vegas at NEP Services We Need to Talk Behavioral Health Conference. Uh, very excited to have Dr. Heather Williams joining us today to talk a little bit. Dr. Williams gave a presentation out here, uh, When Working Out Isn't Enough, uh, Strategies to Heal from Critical Incidents. Uh, Dr. Williams, welcome. If you could tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and what you do and where you're from, and uh, we'll get into a little bit of the work that you do. Absolutely, Jim. And please feel free to call me Heather. All right, I always welcome tell, Heather. Thank you. I was like, I was Heather for 40 years before I went back to school to get a doctorate. And so it just makes sense that I would just be called Heather. All right. Um, so the long sh- story short is I've spent the last 27 years working in and around public safety um, and through various positions with victim services and responding to crisis in the field with law enforcement that segued into having a peer support function before I knew what peer support was or it was something that was in police and fire departments. From there I helped a number of departments start peer support programs in Orange County, California and then that led to a full-time position as the regional peer support coordinator at the Sheriff's Department. I spent five years there, got a tap on the shoulder to go back to school in which I did and in 2019 left the Orange County Sheriff's Department to start my own practice called Premier First Responder Psychological Services. And our entire practice uh, has grown. It started with just me and now we have 10 clinicians all the way from Los Angeles down to the Carlsbad North San Diego area. All culturally competent to work with first responders. So, so talk about it a little bit. So how did you get into the first responder and law enforcement specifically realm in the first place? Um, and then kind of talk about that evolution uh, over the years to when that started two plus decades ago, it sounded like, to where we are today. Um, I, I've been a first responder now for 26 years, and I, I've seen a tremendous um, change in the culture and the availability of services and the oh, normalization yeah. of all that. Um, and, and it's a great thing. It's maybe not a great thing because it's, it's needed, uh, but it was probably needed before, uh, it's always before been it was needed. normalized. So right. it, talk a little bit about that journey and your experience there and how, how did you get into this world and, and how has it changed from when you started to where it is now? Well, I started after getting a bachelor's in psychology and a master's in criminal justice. I ended up thinking I was going to be a probation officer. I'd always been fascinated by human behavior, and at one point, um, I even thought about being an FBI profiler because I was so fascinated, in particular, by criminal behavior. I was that, you know, I'll just say that kooky kid or college student who had, you know, the mind of a serial killer on my coffee table. Right. So, fascinated by human behavior or the why. Like, why do people do what they do? Had no inclination in my 20s that I would be working in this field. But I do believe we're all on a journey, and this has been part of mine, is that I was never supposed to be a probation officer and got a job in victim services. Um, 
victim witness, as many counties across the nation know it. And when I was overseeing our specialized victim units from gangs and homicide to sexual assault and domestic violence, um, I'm now interacting with these victims of crime. I am talking to survivors of homicide and, and talking to them about their grief and their loss and being exposed to their absolute worst day. And I found it very honoring and very humbling to be there and be, being present on someone's worst day. And so as a result of an active shooter type event um, that I responded to in 03, I created a crisis response team and that put me out in the field with first responders. So here I am at you know fatal traffic collisions with police and fire. Um, I'm at drownings. I'm at workplace violence situations. Um, I'm inside a police department dealing with someone um, we're about to give death notification to. So I'm there to deal with the emotional, traumatic, you know, pieces of this. And it just naturally grew that I'm working in the system. I'm standing side by side with police um, out in the field, fire too sometimes, and we're just starting to chat. Like, like you're one of us kind of thing. You know, you speak our language, you laugh at what we laugh at, and yet we're both, we're all trauma bonding because we're dealing with someone's worst day and we're doing the best we can to cope with it given the circumstances. And, you know, a big part of what I teach is that when it comes to trauma, we need to compartmentalize it on the front end because we all have a job to do. But, you know, 20 years ago, when we weren't talking about this, we weren't talking about trauma or the stress of the job or the impact that this work can do on you, it was compartmentalized and don't do anything with it because of perceived weakness, right, and stigma. And what I have seen over the last, you know, really 13 years is this, this change and transition to the culture shifting and understanding that it doesn't make you weak to talk about these things. It actually makes you human. And it's strength to be able to say, yeah, that rocked me. That sucked that I had to do that this day or that this happened on this day, or it reminded me of my children. Like Those are normal things that we can talk about today that 20 years ago, there was no way we were talking about any of it. And I was in the same boat. You know, you come to me and, hey, Heather, how are you after doing A, B, and C? And I'd say, I'm fine. And collectively, we all say we're fine for all the same reasons, because of the perceived weakness. We don't want our peers to think like, oh, well, she can't handle that, or he can't handle that. And so... I sucked it up and I moved on to the next one, just like everybody else in this field does. Right. Uh, There's not a question I was initially thinking of asking you, but uh, while you're on the subject, how do you take care of yourself? Um, <laughs> because not only are you being subjected to the trauma quite often that the officers or first responders that you're dealing with mm-hmm. experience, you know, whether it sounds like it, in some cases you were literally out on those scenes. Oh, and, I was and, literally out on you know, those I mean, scenes. seeing yeah. the trauma yourself. Mm-hmm. Now I'm sure in, in practice you're, I'm, I'm hopefully not responding to crime scenes anymore. No. Um, but you're, you're getting the intimate details of these things. Um, how do you take care of yourself? Because you're, I have to imagine, you're being traumatized in some way. I know you're professional and you're building walls, but you're hearing a lot of terrible things, a lot of stressful things. Um, How do you talk about yourself uh, or how do you protect yourself in that Mm -hmm. respect? And then maybe you can use that into what, um, you know, what, 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 what ways do you coach folks into uh, taking care of themselves and to, we'll get into and and dealing with the trauma that obviously uh, they're having issues with. Well, first of all, thank you for asking that question. Every so often in classes, I'll have people say, Heather, what do you do? You listen to trauma all 
all day long because I went from being in the field to talking to people about it, now hearing, right, the, the stories and helping people process it. And so there is a thing called vicarious trauma, which means that I could equally be affected um, by the stories I hear and the things I'm exposed to. And it's interesting because I do feel like a lot of us in this business develop a pretty high threshold for being able to handle the bad stuff. And I, I feel like I am one of those people. Like, I can handle hearing some pretty horrific stories. What I've noticed is that maybe it's been, like, so many days in a row where they're just really high, high stress or high trauma levels of discussions. It's, you know, we're all subjected, you know, and sensitive to baby deaths or toddlers or our innocent victims. And so for me... Um, when I reach my threshold, I'll basically say it out loud to my husband. I'll say, okay, I've reached my trauma threshold for the week, and now I need 48 hours to just let my brain kind of calm down. And so that's a big part of what I do is I have to notice it first. And that's, that's what I always encourage people who come to me is, do you know what your threshold is? And when did you start behaving this way? And what are the thoughts connected to the way you're reacting and behaving so if we create awareness, then we know what to do with it once it starts to flare up. Um, and so I do share in my counseling sessions as well as teaching, I, I try to be vulnerable and I share um, about what's worked for me, what hasn't worked for me. Here's a list of tools. Let's figure out what's going to work for you. And one of those tools is that mental check-in. Where am I at with this? And I have to imagine, especially if you're dealing with law enforcement officers, I, I find you know law enforcement officers are inherently not trustful of other people. Yep. Understandable. They're often dealing with people who are not worthy to be trusted um, You know, on the street. They've, they've proven that, uh, or at least proven that in, until the court of law deems that. Um, so clearly, you, you have to, as a, you know, as a clinician, you need, you need to create trust with folks who are inherently you know, not used to being skeptical of everyone. Right. Uh, and, and that has to be a, a, a tremendous challenge. Um, I, I mean, yeah. I, if I could answer that, I think that a lot of the relationships I've built with police and fire, because um, I think I have equal probably police and fire that I see is they know my background and they know what I've seen and they know what I've been to and they know that I didn't just decide in my 20s to go to school and say, oh, I want to work with first responders. Right. It's like she's got credibility based on her life experience. And so a lot of people come to me trusting. Okay. But then there are many that I have to build trust to with. And they'll say, like, I'm sorry I lied to you or, you know, I didn't tell you this the first appointment. And I said, I get it. I go, you're learning to trust me. And I think through self-disclosure, appropriate levels of self-disclosure and sharing some of the things that either I've been to, work-related, dealt with um, in my relationship or family life or raising teenagers or being in a blended family, like being able to share things that are relevant to what they're going through, it, it breaks that barrier down. You, you mentioned your husband and, and that <clears throat> yes. clearly you, you two have a, a sort of understanding of, I'm sure when you know, like, Hey, I need a break. And I'm sure it works the other way where he's like, Hey, you, you need a break. Yes. Or um, he'll tell me, I, I can't hear all those details, right. even though he's a captain in law enforcement. 
Like he has his thresholds. So in, in, in fire, uh, the world I work in, especially, uh, uh, you know, we, 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 we're very much in a family type environment. We yeah. literally live together. Yep. I, mean, I, I live with my crew one third of the year. I, I eat with them. We, we sleep in the same building. Um, we're, we're very close. What are some strategies that um, folks can take back uh, to their fire departments, to their police departments, to their EMS agencies, whatever it is that, you know, that, that they can do to take care of each other and to recognize things? And what I always find is, is how do you start the awkward conversations um, with maybe the coworker mm-hmm. who is being hostile or being, you know, um, uh, you know it, it clearly been affected by something. How do you start those conversations and what are some strategies you can do to, to, to reach out to some other people that you find work in that environment, um, you know, which can obviously have some initial awkward uh, moments? Sure. No, I, I love that question, too. That's something I teach in my peer support classes is approaching with the terms of I've noticed Because when you start with I, you're taking responsibility for whatever that observation or perception is. And noticed is you're noticing a change in their behavior. You're noticing visually they don't look the same. Maybe they look like they haven't slept for days. They have bags under their eyes. Maybe uh, their norm is to sit at the coffee or kitchen table and talk shit and just be, you know, playful and their sense of humor is gone and they're very quiet and they start spending too much time alone, isolated in their room. Their behavior has changed. So by being able to notice and put something on the end of that, I feel like that might be, although awkward and uncomfortable, worthy of possibly making a difference and even saving a life in the police or fire world. Right. Um, and what, what are some things, um, what are some advice I guess you have for individuals? Um, you know, we, resiliency, I think is the big kind of buzzword mm-hmm. these days. Um, you know, how, how do you work to make yourself more resilient? Um, I know you, you know, I, I you, you gave a presentation here at this conference and you had a ton of bullet points on those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, in the same way, how you just gave some advice to how we deal with our coworkers when we have some concerns. Um, how do we deal with ourselves on a day to day basis to keep our, you know, Keep, keep ourselves coming back. Right. Keep ourselves sane, too. Um, one of the first things that I really want to encourage people to do is to enhance their emotional intelligence. Being able to say what it is you're thinking, acknowledge how you're feeling, and I call feeling the F word of public safety because nobody <laughs> likes to talk about it, but what kind of reaction am I having? What am I thinking about? How is that affecting the way that I'm perceiving my world or behaving with my family or at work or wherever it may be? That's the first part is to increase the awareness. Then the second thing is on a daily basis after responding to calls and runs and the things that you guys do is that check-in. It's a mental check-in and it starts with where am I at with this in my head? Where am I at with the incident? Where am I at with the situation? And then I've created three categories. And the categories are... I'm good. Like I've had no impact. I'm not experiencing any type of acute reaction or stress reaction. Then the second category is, okay, I'm slightly impacted. I'm, I'm feeling a little sad about this or a little, you know, I feel a certain way about it, but it's not that big of a deal. And then there's the third component, which is I'm rocked. And that is a direct acknowledgement instead of avoidance of I am truly impacted by what I just dealt with. 
and I'm experiencing these types of reactions which illustrate I'm impacted. And then knowing, okay, now that I know I'm impacted, who am I going to talk to? Am I going to talk to peer support? Am I going to talk to a partner on the job? Am I going to, do I have a therapist or mental health professional? Do I have a minister or a chaplain I want to talk to? But talk to someone because the number one way to process the emotions and the trauma is through talking about it and every story having a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I guess that's where it falls in, why it's so critical for your agency or your labor organization or whatever it is to ensure that when you do get to that third point where, okay, I, I need help, mm-hmm. that that help is, A, available in the first place, yes. you know, and that it's just, it's readily available on, okay, how do I access that help? Can you, can you talk about some successful strategies? Uh, you know, peer support has become a, a big thing, thankfully. Right. Um, you know, EAP, I mean, you, you, you name it, all of these things are here, but just what are some, some things that you've seen that organizations have done successfully to ensure that when people hopefully, you know, do get to that third step and say, yes, I need help, that they don't have to look far to get it. So it's interesting because there's still this perception and maybe a stigma of asking for help as being weakness, right? So then the person says, okay, enough is enough. I finally, I'm, I'm finding the strength and I don't care what anyone thinks, I'm going to ask for help. That help, whether it's peer support or it's next level psychological services, has to be competent and be mindful of how they're reacting to the person who's asking for help. Meaning that, you know, a lot of people are reactive, right? And they're like, oh my God, this person needs help. And It's like, slow it down. Stay calm. Everything's going to be okay. Find a nice, quiet, private space to have that conversation with them. And validating and normalize that what they're experiencing is completely normal. Right. You're having a, a human response to a very abnormal, un, like, horrible situation Let's walk through this and making it easy to access, whether it's through, you know, a wellness app or it's through a website, um, having people on your peer support team that you trust that have, that are credible and have a good reputation, not, not being gossips, um, helps having culturally competent mental health professionals who get it. You know, really what, what does culturally competent mean? It means you get it who can speak your language and who has maybe even been there, done that. And if they haven't, um, at least understand it enough to be able to say, I'm with you and I'm sitting here with you and you're safe in the, in your ability to say whatever you need to say without judgment. Um, so ease of accessing, but making sure that once you do access the right people are on the other side. Uh, no, I think that that's very important. One, one thing I, I thought was interesting, and I think is has become a sort of uh, normalization of, of of this, is that uh, people saying in the same way you wouldn't hesitate, you know, if your shoulder hurt you chronically, <laughs> you know, to to treat you know mental health stresses in the same way. Absolutely. Hey, this is yeah, this is a you're, you know this is a tough job physically. You're going to get a, a dings and you know and and and, uh, and and chinks in the armor here and there, yeah. which you have no problem going <clears throat> to a doctor or to a therapist to get fixed. This is no different. Um, it's funny you, know. you say that because that's how I describe it. I go, you know, you, you hurt your shoulders, knees, and backs in public safety. <clears throat> you go to a doctor. They send you to physical therapy. You strengthen whatever's going on and help fix it. And worst case scenarios, you might need surgery. Right. And so how I equate that to the psychological world is you go to a psychologist. You have the conversations. You have the assessments. You see what kind of goals you have to help heal the wounds that you have. 
And there are a number of different tools and modalities to help you heal. And if one isn't working, then we try another one. And if that doesn't work, then maybe you need some surgical intervention. And that surgical intervention, um, I've just learned about an, inter um, an actual modality called STG, um, stellate ganglion block, where they actually insert like an anesthetic into the ganglion nucleus in the neck and immediately get relief from the symptoms of post-traumatic stress. So to me, that's like the surgical equivalent right, right, to right. like back surgery. Right. And so, yes, if we can start thinking of the brain as an injured organ that can be fixed and healed instead of the stigma attached to it because we can't see it, I think that's going to help a lot too. And it sounds like even in the same way you, you may not like when one orthopedist gives you a course of treatment, you go yes. get a second opinion. In the same way you just said you, you have to find the correct clinician who sort of understands where you're coming from. Yep. I've certainly heard that you know, from folks who saying, I just went to this person and they, they don't understand public safety. Right. You know, and, and, or they say, oh, you know, some of the things that they think I should be affected by, well, no, that doesn't bother. That's the job. Right. Like, blood and guts is the job. Right. This is what I, you know, I'm not prepared to deal with. Yeah. Um, and they, there's been some disconnects there. I've, I've heard that repeatedly. I um, actually had a firefighter tell me that he got fired by his clinician because <laughs> she was like so overwhelmed by the story he was telling her that she's just like, I don't think this is going to work. Yeah, 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 and that and that's where that the funny thing. I mean, that that's where like we we, we talk about be the laughing, but. no, but the 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 firehouse coffee table, like which yeah. are, you know, we always joke that like some you know if if a human resources person came in from oh, the God. corporate world or something like, <laughs> like I don't know if we'd be fired, but that person would quit, you know. Uh, but but that's healthy, like like that's how firehouse has been managed that way for you know yeah. 150 years. I know, and and it it mostly works. It does, <laughs> you know. It does. That's. It's funny that you said that because when I worked in victim services, I was talking to some sexual assault advocates about a case in the hallway, um, and the HR, her office is out, and so she can hear our conversation, and she, she went right to our boss and was like, can you ask them to shut the door? They're talking about like horrific details. And then we were laughing. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, and I'm like, but this is how we cope with these horrific Yeah, details. that's how you dust yourself off and come back tomorrow. Yes. You know? and, and, yeah. They no. just come from a different... HR doesn't get what we do. Right, right. So yeah, maybe <laughs> that's, okay. a, that's the next conference. Right. <laughs> um, all right. Well, well, thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, if you can tell us how people can find you, um, you know, that would be helpful. We especially have uh, a lot of clients, a lot of listeners that are in Southern California. Uh, so if you just tell us what, what the best way to be able to find you is, uh, we'd love to share sure. that. Um, a few different ways. Okay. Um, the website is premierfirstresponder.com. I'm on Instagram, so Heather underscore uh, Premier First Responder. Okay. And then I also, through peer pressure by a firefighter, started a YouTube channel. Okay. And it's 911 Hero Healer. Okay. And so every, I'm supposed to weekly be putting off, putting out um, little videos, but it's been, you know, it's taken me a little bit of time. Yeah, no, I get that. Uh, well, thank you for your time. Thank you um, so much. Thank you for, for coming here to this conference. Uh, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Again, this is Jim Oleski from NEP Media on location, Las Vegas at NEP Services. We need to talk behavioral health conference. And uh, we thank Dr. Heather Williams for her time. Thank you for listening to NEP on location and Jim Oleski's conversation with Dr. Heather Williams. Remember to subscribe to NEP on location wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You can also reach us at nep.news at nepservices.com. 
And for the latest ideas and information from around the worlds of public safety, organized labor, communications, politics and more, please visit our website at nepmedia.net.